video that we shared to the Facebook page. It was done in this church a, a couple years ago. I asked Brother Michael to share it on our Facebook page. And you may have seen it, you may not have, or, or maybe you're not social media people. So I wanted to share that video with you this morning. Brother Matt said it's a hard act to follow. Well, so far I want to tell you that everything that's happened here has been make an easy act to follow for me as so many things have confirmed what I believe God placed in my spirit today to talk to us today about the victory that we have in Christ. We have victory this morning. So I want you to take a watch this video and then we'll have our message. I want us to think for just a moment, you have Good Friday. Why do we say it's Good Friday? Because that's the day of the crucifixion. You and I, with an afterthought, you and I seeing what happened, we can call Friday Good Friday because we see it through the eyes of Sunday. Friday is Good Friday. Sunday is the resurrection. How about Saturday? Because that's where a lot of us live. In fact, that's where life is often, is the Saturday. Saturday is about waiting. Saturday is about uncertainty. It's about knowing, not knowing what what to happen. Saturday is ambiguity. It's about, as one theologian put it, muddling through when the future isn't clear. So much of Christian faith is Saturday faith. You see, faith is something that you cling to when understanding and reasoningly dead. How long have it been since you've dreamed dreams? How long has it been since hope has been real and very much alive in your life? That's where we live a lot of times. Pastor, that's a sad thought. Well, Saturday is a day of darkness. Saturday is a day of uncertainty. Saturday is a day of pain. Saturday is a day of hopelessness. Saturday is a day of loneliness. And the devil will throw everything he can at you that Saturday. But lo and behold, then comes the morning. You may be enduring a Saturday night, but Sunday is on the way. You may be facing oppression or depression, but Sunday's on its way. Your son and your daughter may be the pull of all particles you feel like, but Sunday's on its way. The doctor may have told you you've stood all and you've got all of this and you're sick here and you may be hurting and in pain, but I'm here to tell you with an experience from God, God Almighty is a healer and Sunday is on its way. Hallelujah. Doesn't matter what you're facing today. 
stone or that rock that was rolled over the mouth of that tomb was rolled away. And those soldiers, they fell as dead. They couldn't gain say or resist. And let our culture, let the wise of this world and the wise of this nation, let them laugh and scoff and make fun of the Christian and of the believer and let the ISIS and let the people in the Middle East and Northern Africa and all over the world, let them try their best to wipe out Christianity. It's been tried for over 2,000 years and nobody has done it yet and nobody will ever do it because Jesus Christ is the head and nobody can do away with Jesus. alive. He is alive this morning. And how can we have the victory? Because he wears the victor's crown. He has won the victory for us. A couple Friday nights ago, several Friday nights ago during Friday night prayer, they played that song, The Victor's Crown. And I asked Brother Matt and the team to sing that this, this morning. And in my spirit dropped this idea of Christ our victor. The victory that we have through Christ. And, and it's one of the four prevailing themes of the atonement. What happened at that cross? What happened at that grave? How are we made right with God? What happened there? And there's been four prevailing theories of the atonement that have come throughout of the church. But for the first thousand years, the church would have not even blinked at what that theory was. They would have seen this idea of Christus Victor. You see on your outline, Christus Victor. What does that mean? That is Latin for Christ the Victor. They would have known that there has been a war raging for since the very beginning between the forces of darkness and the kingdom of God. And then when Jesus Christ came, when He went to a cross, when He rose again, He rose victorious over everything that binds us and that controls us. But the reality of it is when we think about those things, we say, well, brother, I hear those words. And I understand what you're saying. But I don't always feel that way. Why? Because we live in Fridays and Saturdays. That's where our life is. Christ come to win spiritual battles for us. He has won the victory over that. But there's still battles that rage because we live in Friday. And we live in Saturday, as Pastor said in the video. Friday. Friday is a day of some of you here are facing doctor's reports, regular doctor's visits, sicknesses. Your members of your family are sick. There's discouragement. 
And you live in that Friday. But if you know the Lord, you have a relationship with Him, you understand the victory we have, you face those things in the shadow of Sunday. How do we go to visit our graves of our loved ones? That's very common to do that in the Easter season. To place flowers, to spring flowers. I have four people. How many of you have people there who are going on to be with the Lord? They died in Christ. You go there and you visit a graveyard to reflect on your loved one. But I see that grave in light of Sunday. I stand there and I look at that grave and I hear the words of the Apostle Paul and know that one day a trumpet's going to sound. And that grave is going to shake a little bit. And that body is coming up. And it'll never die again because Christ wears the victor's crown. And I don't grieve as those who have no hope. But we still face Fridays. And we also face Saturdays. Pastor said it's a day of uncertainty. I think Saturday is where most of us live oftentimes. Things are going okay. There's, there's not any particular crisis in my life. I'm working. I'm raising my family. I'm go- muddling through, as it said. I'm, I'm getting along okay. But there's so much uncertainty in life. We come out of a pandemic. Everybody, you know, is concerned, particularly when it first came out. We see inflation. We wonder, are we going to continue to be able to pay our bills? We hear all the stuff going on in our culture today. We're raising young kids. We see craziness going on in the schools and we're struggling. What do I do with my children? There's so much uncertainty in Saturday. But you face those Saturdays if you have a relationship with Christ in light of Sunday. And it's okay. We're in good company. We're not the only ones who live down in this spirit, in this natural world. I just finished reading through the book of John. And I saw some of the encounters that Jesus had with people. And Nicodemus, Nicodemus was a teacher of the law. He came to the Lord and he had a, had a conversation with Jesus. And Jesus said, hey, you must be born again. And Nicodemus said, how do I get back in my mama's womb? And Jesus said, uh-uh, Nicodemus, that's not where the battle is. See, flesh gives birth to the flesh, but spirit gives birth to the spirit. He's trying to get Nicodemus. He's trying to get us out of the things that consume us and get us into where the battle really is. And just another chapter over, in chapter 4, he has an encounter with a woman at a well. And he goes up and his disciples have gone to get some food because they've been on a long journey. And he says to this woman, she's drawing water, he said, if you knew who it was that was talking to you, you would ask me and I would give you living water. And she said, what are you talking about? You don't even have a pot to draw with. See, she's still in the natural world. She's still here. He's trying to get her out of that to Sunday. And the disciples in that same scenario, they come back. And they talk about the food. They said, well, we have the food. He said, hey, hold on. I have food you don't know anything about. And they're thinking, well, what happened? Did somebody go to McDonald's and get him something while we were gone? What are you talking about, Lord? He said, I have food you don't know anything about. And then finally at the end, he's been telling his disciples all along, I'm going away, I'm going away, I'm going away. And you know, old Thomas, I'm Thomas a lot of times, doubting Thomas he was called. He said, I'm going away, but you know the way. Thomas said, Lord, I don't know the way. What are you talking about? He said, I'm the way, the truth and the life. And nobody comes to the Father but through me. That's where we live, church. 
But we can live victoriously in this idea that Christ has won the victory for us. You're going to face life. You're going to face life's challenges. But one day, all these sorrows, all these sicknesses, all this sin that binds us is going to be done away with forever. But it is done away with now in the spiritual world. It's done away with now. Christ has won that victory for us. We just have to walk in it. We must walk in it. I said this idea of Christus Victor, Christ the Victor, was one of four prevailing theories of atonement. What it means is this. It means that Jesus redeems us from our slavery. This video skit couldn't have been any better for this theory of Christ our Victor. He redeems us from slavery. He ransoms us from evil. He revives, He restores, and reconciles us. He defeats our enemies, sin, death, and the devil, and reigns victorious over the growing kingdom of God. And we may not see it. We might not think it's happening, particularly here in our nation. God is working worldwide. He's not just working here in the United States. But I want to tell you, church, that the kingdom of God is advancing. And it's not going to be stopped. It never has been stopped. It never will be stopped because it is advancing. And you say, well, how do you know that this theory is the theory? Does Christ the victor? Which would have been no doubt about that for the first thousand years. Later on, we got this. And, and a couple of these, we still adhere to parts of these ideas. First is the substitutionary theory of atonement. That's where Christ was our substitute. We believe that as well. The penal theory, that Christ took, our, took the wrath of God. We believe that. And then there's moral exemplar. That Christ was a good moral teacher and by following him and being a good person that our sins were atoned for. Absolutely not. The Bible does not teach that. But I think the, what guides us and what is our authority in all things is the Scriptures. And we can't look at the Scriptures from Genesis to Revelation and not see that there had been a war raging. And we see the victorious God of the Old Testament and we see the battle lines drawn in the very beginning at Genesis 3 and 15. In the creation itself, God had created us. He wanted us to have perfect harmony. No sin, no death, no sickness, no disease. None of these things we deal with today. But Satan, the enemy of my soul, the enemy of your soul, he came at the enemy of God's kingdom. He comes up and he deceives Eve. And the Bible says death and sin entered the world. The battle line was drawn. But God in His mercy told us how it ended even right then. In Genesis 3 and 15, He says to Satan, I will put enmity, that's hatred, between you and the woman. There was a scene of this during the choir or during, during the skit. And between your offspring and hers. Between the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. And that offspring of that woman would be the next big event in the, in the Christian faith. And that is Christmas. When the angel told Mary, don't be afraid because what's in you is conceived of the Holy Spirit. And God looked at Satan and he said, look, you're going to strike his heel. He's going to strike our heel sometime, church. We're going to deal with the Fridays and the Saturdays. But he said, he will crush your head. He will be victorious. And the whole Old Testament 
the idea of battle flows through that entire Old Testament. We see it in the very beginning when God set His people free last week during the Passover presentation. He so explained that how the God's people were set free. But you had Pharaoh who personified evil and Egypt that personified evil and God's people being captive. And God's people are captive today. Or those who are in sin are captive. They're captive to sin. They're captive to the consequences of sin. And God said, I'm going to set them free. I'm going to set them free. And the angel of death comes through and Pharaoh says, get rid of them. And the people of Israel leave that captivity and then they come to a big sea. And the Bible says, God, Pharaoh hardened his heart. And here he comes. He's going to try to take God's people again. But God don't lose battles. And there stands Moses and he sees an army behind him and the people of Israel see an army behind them and they see a big sea in front of them. There's no way out. God, what are we going to do? We should have just stayed in Egypt. We should have just stayed in the bondage. And Moses says, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And the waters part, and God's people go through. And Moses said something else that I love. He said, you see these enemies? You see Pharaoh's army back there? In just a little while, you ain't going to see them no more. And I'm here to tell you the things that come against you, the discouragement, the sin, the sickness, the death, I'm telling you, hang on, because in a little while, you ain't going to see them no more. We're going to deal with them for a while, but the day's coming. And I think it's sooner rather than later. We're not going to deal with them no more. Every single, so many of the Psalms are about Psalms of victory. I only picked one, 44 and 5. The Psalmist said, through you we will push down our enemies. Through you we will trample those who rise up against us. The victorious God of the Old Testament. The victorious God of the New Testament. Jesus announces and confirms this battle in Matthew 16 and 18 at a place called Caesarea Philippi. You read this in the Bible, and if you don't understand really what Caesarea Philippi is about, you may not fully appreciate what happened there. Jesus takes his disciples to this region. This region was a very, very pagan, dark, demonic area. It was at the base of Mount Hermon. Many believe it's at Mount Hermon if you go all the way back to Genesis. And I don't want to get into all this. We'll talk about this maybe some other time. But it was in it that the dark forces started. That the real battle started on Mount Hermon, found in Genesis 6. And as a result, in Caesarea Philippi, this place is very pagan. They have temples to this god called Pan. As I read through this, it said that Caesarea Philippi would have been the red light district of that day. That Jews would have gone nowhere near that place because they knew the demonic world that was associated with it. It even had a term then called the gates of hell. And so I don't think it's coincidence that Jesus took his disciples there and he looks at Peter and he says, Peter, who do people say I am? And Peter says, well, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah. Some say you're some of the prophets. But who do you say I am, Peter? And Peter makes an announcement there. That thou art the Christ, 
the Son of the living God. And then Jesus says this in Matthew 16 and 18. He said, and also I say to you that you're Peter. And on this rock, on this statement, Peter, on this that I am indeed the Son of the living God, I will build my church. And see, I think, now I'm going to take some leeway here, but I think that Jesus wanted this statement made right in the heart of the gates of hell itself, right maybe where the whole battle started. Maybe Satan and all his demons were on top of Mount Hermon at that point. I don't know. But Jesus wants to make a bold declaration. And this is what he says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And look at what he said, the gates of hell. He didn't say the swords of hell. He didn't say the chariots of hell. See, the gates, gates are defensive. I think for too long the church has thought, well, that's, that means that you know, we have to shut ourselves in. That is not what that means. What Jesus was saying is, I'm about to build a kingdom, Satan, and it's going to bombard you, it's going to bombard you, it's going to bombard you, and you're not going to be able to withstand it. Jesus said, since the days of John the Baptist, the kingdom of God has been forcefully advancing, and forceful men lay hold to it. The kingdom of God is advancing, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The battle lines. And then that battle is won at the cross. We see it in Colossians 2, 14, 15. It says, this is what happened at the cross. He wiped out the requirements that was against us which was contrary to us. Sin, the powers of darkness were contrary to us. And he took them. He took what was contrary to you. He took your sin. He took your disappointment. He took your failures and he nailed them to the cross. But he didn't stop there. It says he disarmed the principalities and the powers. And he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them. Those things that strike at our heel, they've been disarmed. Yes, we live in Friday. Yes, we deal with Saturdays. But because of the cross, because of the resurrection, we face these things in a different way. I don't face it from a defeatist point. Christ has disarmed them. Look what it says. It said he disarmed them. One day they're going to be totally destroyed. We won't deal with this anymore. But they've been disarmed and then at the grave, Luke 24, 1 through 5. Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then when they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus, and it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then as they were afraid, they bowed their faces to the earth and they said to them, I love this. Why do you seek the living among the dead? Why do you seek the living among the dead? One translation, he's not here. He's risen as he said he would. And he is alive. And with that, he defeated the final enemy of death. That's what entered in Genesis. Death entered. Physical death. Spiritual death. But it's been defeated. It's been defeated. I used to say, well, but we still die. Oh, yes. Yes, we do. A physical death. 
But that death now is just a gateway out of this mess, out of this pain, out of this broken body, right into the presence of God. Because the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Am I afraid of dying? Yes. There's things about the dying process that, that, that makes me afraid. I'll admit that. Maybe you don't, but I do. And I've heard Pastor Don say many times that he believes that God gives people dying grace. And I've seen that. I've seen people that are literally facing death that are in Christ, and there just seems to be no fear. It's like the Holy Spirit has come in. They're experiencing that victory that they know they have, and they know I'm about to cross over. I'm about to be done with this. Satan's never going to strike my heel again. The victory at the grave. Paul writing to the church at Corinth in the 15th chapter of the book of 1 Corinthians, which is the great resurrection chapter. He said this, he said, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. We're not all going to die. But we will all be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. That could happen right now. There's nothing else that has to happen for Christ to come back, for us to hear a trumpet, and that we'll be changed instantly. In the twinkling of an eye. The dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption. This mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then we, it shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? We're going to have an immortal body one day. I'm going to have an incorruptible body one day because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, because he wears the victor's crown. He looked at John, the revelator in Revelation, and he said, Behold, I am he who was dead, but I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of, in the, to the gates of hell. He has control. All authority in heaven and earth has now been given to him. And he's given us authority to go out and rage war in this battle. So we have the victory, our victory in Christ. What victory do we have? We have victory over Satan. 1 John 4 and 4 says, You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. The Spirit of God that dwells in you, the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells in you, it is greater than he who is in the world. He's given us authority. He's given us authority to go out and be salt and light in this world. He's given us authority to go into our hospitals where our friends are and pray for them that they might recover. The power of this gospel, the power of a life lived through the gospel changes the world. But we have to tap into it. We have victory over sin. Romans 6.14 says, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you're not under law, but under grace. I've heard it said this way. Sin remains. I've dealt with it. I still struggle with it at times. You do. It's still around. But it has no dominion over me. It doesn't reign in my mortal body. Because the power of the living God reigns in my mortal body. And the power of Satan and the power of God can't reign in the same place. And so the closer I get to him, the more time I spend with him, the less the sin has room to deal in my mortal body. Victory over death. Jesus was talking to Martha. Lazarus has died. 
Jesus gets there. And she's grieving, as we would, as we do when our loved ones die. And this is what he said to Martha in John eleven twenty five 25 through 26. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. But he asked Martha this. He said, do you believe this? See, the thing about this gospel message, churches, it has to be personal. He looked at Martha. He said, Martha, do you believe this? He wasn't talking about a head knowledge. He was talking about a heart knowledge. If you're here this morning, this idea of eternal life and resurrection power is so real to us to have experienced it. Have you experienced it? Have you repented of your sin and put your trust in the power of the risen God? Because that's what this whole day is about. That's what the cross was about. That's what the resurrection was about. He came to seek and save the lost. If you're here today and you haven't surrendered yourself to Christ, today is the day. Today is the day of salvation. He came to seek and save the lost. But you know what all he, 1 John says he also come to do? He came to destroy the works of the devil. And we can experience that now, but the day's coming when we will experience that fully. And then we have victory over the world. 1 John 5 and 4 says, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Do you want to be victorious in a world that seems to be running completely contrary to the things of God? Strengthen your faith. That's what's going to overcome this world. That's what's going to overcome the powers of darkness and evil. That's what's going to break the sin chains, the bonds of sin off of our lives. It's the power of God. Man, I want to ask you and the team if you guys will come forward. But we're still fighting battles. You experience it. I experience it. We've talked about those struggles of Friday and Saturday. The sickness we deal with sometimes. Not knowing the uncertainty of the future. So we still fight our battles. But I like the way Tony Evans put it. We're not fighting for victory. Victory is one. We're fighting from victory, from a position of victory. How many, how many, how many uh, WWE or wrestling, World Wrestling Federation fans in here or now or of old? See, it's a script. The end's been written in those. They know who's going to win. So it doesn't matter how much the loser goes out and beats the guy over the head with a chair. It doesn't matter how many times he throws him out of the ring. None of that matters. Because the end's been written. And it doesn't matter how many times Satan comes against you. It doesn't how many times you feel discouraged. It doesn't matter how many times you fail. The end has been written. He is a defeated foe. Amen. And the Bible says that one of these days, God himself is going to bind him up for a thousand years and he's going to cast him away. Then we'll fully, fully, fully experience the victory of Jesus Christ. We won't deal with this anymore. But in the meantime, he's asked us to fight battles. He's asked us to go out into the world and advance his kingdom. And how do we do that? How do we fight our battles today? First through prayer. First through prayer. 
James 5.16 reads like this. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And if you're like me, if you're not careful, you'll read that scripture and you'll say, well, that doesn't include me, Larry, because I'm not a righteous man. If you're in Christ, yes, you are. Because you have his righteousness. And it says that that prayer can overcome much. I don't know how all that works, church. And I know that prayer is not easy because it's spiritual warfare. The flesh is willing, but the spirit's often weak. We get down to pray. We come here on Friday nights to pray. And I invite you to join us as we do spiritual warfare. You don't want to. You don't want to go in that prayer closet sometime. The flesh doesn't want to go there. And sometimes you'll go in and you may come to Friday night prayer. And I do sometime and I leave and I'm like, God, I'm not sure I accomplished a whole lot. But there's sometimes I come to Friday night prayer or I slip off up into my office where I spend time with the Lord and man, I might turn on some worship music and the power of God begins to work in me. Sometimes I begin to speak with other tongues and things just begin to happen in my life and I come out and I come down from that office or I walk out of this sanctuary refreshed in my spirit. Knowing that I can face whatever may come through the power of God. We fight that way. Sometimes in Friday night prayer a song is sung by Michael W. Smith it says, this is how we fight our battles. It says, it says, it may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. And every now and again in that song, it's part of my worship center here, I like to get down on my knees and lift my hand and say, this is how I fight my battles. It might look like a position of weakness. This might look like a position of surrender, and it is, to the Holy of Holies to the King of Kings. Because when I surrender myself to Him, when I surrender my will to Him, I'm strengthened through Him. And I can get up and I can fight those spiritual battles. We fight it through prayer. We fight it through praise. I've got on the outline 2 Chronicles chapter 20. It's the story of Jehoshaphat. And he's going out to fight a battle. And the Lord says, I'm going to fight your battle for you. And he takes some people and he assigns them to sing praises while they're fighting. And the Bible says that the whole time they're praising the Lord, they're winning the battle. These spiritual battles, church, are won through praise. They're won through prayer. They're won through praise. And lastly, they're won through people. Jesus said, I'll build my church. And it's been real cool to vilify the church of Jesus Christ in America today for a number of reasons. But this is what God has built. Now, I know that everybody who comes into a church is not a Christian. I don't need to be told that by anybody. But I know a lot of you and I know a lot of people who come through these doors are. And you know the Lord and you love the Lord and you're empowered by the Lord. And I need you and we need each other. And I'm here to tell you that as this culture changes rapidly, we're going to need each other more than we ever have. We're going to need the power of God. I'm going to say something that sounds a little pious and I hate piety. But now I lay me down to sleep, coming to church once in a while on Sunday. What we're about to face as a church, it ain't going to get it. We're going to need the power of God. And we're going to need each other. Because this world's a changing. We fight our battles with prayer. We fight our battles with praise. And we fight our battles with people. Franklin Graham is preaching an Easter message from 
the nation of Ukraine today. We've seen the atrocities of war played out right before our eyes. And we see that. that see, that's Friday and Saturday living there. I mean, it's terrible. I've seen the videos you have. It's awful. And we say, God, how? how, how why, is this, why is this allowed, God? Why can this man be this evil? Well, because the battles are still raging. But even when we see terrible things like that, I hear something like I heard on the news this morning, and I know that God is still working. Even in that atrocity, God is working. Because it said this morning that so many Ukrainians who've never been in a church before will go to a church. See, war will do that to you. And, and it said that there's Eastern Ukraine and Western Ukraine, and the Western Ukrainians have been more religious people. Catholicism's heavy, heavy there, but there's some other denominations there. And they've not even, some of those in eastern Ukraine have never been in a church. But it said that this morning, many of the people out of eastern Ukraine are going to come in and maybe for the first time in their life, they're going to walk in. And so we might see the Friday and Saturday war, we see the atrocities of it, but just maybe God in His sovereignty is taking the ashes of war, and he's going to give beauty, and there's going to be people who are going to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ out of the nation of Ukraine because the place is racked in war. I don't like that very much, but I know God is working. This morning, Colin and Madison sent us a video out of West Africa, and they're baptizing people this morning in Africa. God is working. Even when I don't see it, he's working. Even when I can't feel him, he's working. Because he wears a victor's crown. I'm going to ask everyone here, if you would, to bow your head and close your eyes. Oftentimes on Easter, we have Resurrection Sunday. We have folks in church that hadn't been in a while. If you're here this morning and you don't know the Lord, you've never repented of your sin, that's what the Bible says is we just come to the cross and say, God, I've just got this thing wrong. And something is brooding in your spirit right now. And you just know that I need to get some things right with the Lord. If that's you, if you'll just raise your hand. I'm not going to call you up front. Okay. See that hand. Maybe you're here this morning and you, you're walking where it needs to be. There's been, Friday and Saturday has been hard on you. You said it. My relationship with the Lord's okay, Larry, but Friday and Saturday's been hard on me. You can raise your hand. It's been, I can raise my hand. I'm here to tell you, Friday and Saturday's been pretty hard on me lately. I've been dealing with some things. It's been hard on me. But in all that, I know God's still working. And so I'm going to ask, this team is going to sing Waymaker. I'm going to ask if you will, if you want to come up this morning, let's gather around this altar and let's pray. Let's pray for each other. If you need something from the Lord, I'm going to, I'm going to ask first if our altar workers would come up and just come to the front. All of our altar workers. These are the, these are the people that, church, that want to pray with you. If you've got a need in your life, they want to pray with you. And so as, we, as they begin to sing and we begin to gather around this altar, if you have a need, go find one of these people. 
And I'll pray with you, brother, man, anybody on this team, we will pray with you. And let's let God work in your life, brother Matt.